Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. Let's see if I can get my words out here. Not enough coffee today. Uh, I'm with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. I'm Paul Favor. We're coming at you from an undisclosed location. Uh, and today is Friday, the 22nd of April, 2022. Uh, we have one of our special guests again, uh, Patrick O'Kelly. Uh, he's the author of uh, Triple Canopy. Uh, amongst other books, uh, he is a uh, subject matter expert in uh, Francis Marion, uh, and that's really one of the reasons why we wanted him on here today, uh, is to talk about uh, what we'd like to kick off a new series inside the podcast, and that is uh, UW, Unconventional Warfare in the Carolinas. So welcome, Pat. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to be. Uh, we're going to talk about the Swamp Fox. It's one of my favorite personalities in the Revolutionary War period. So, uh, um, for some of the, for some people that have had the privilege of being able to sit around you and Bert and some yeah. other folks and and hear some of the stories that you just don't hear about in school, um, you know, this this will be definitely a, a fun episode. Absolutely, I mean. Uh, Pat, uh, yeah, you, you got a wealth of knowledge in there, my friend, 40-pound brain. Uh, I know you've done a lot of uh, study, uh, not only on Francis Marion, but uh, the other uh, uh, insurgents or uh, unconventional warfare practitioners during the Revolutionary War period, uh, Pickens and Sumter, to name a few. And I know that you can uh, enlighten us on all that. The, the idea I had, I approached Pat, uh, on doing this podcast uh, specifically for, uh, you know, those of us who are gravitating towards the, the Special Forces Qualification Course uh, pointedly, and then also to Robin Sage, which is the culminative exercise for the Q course. Uh, so obviously you will see uh, the relevance of knowing who Francis Marion uh, was, what he did, uh, how he helped to win the war, and, and really, as uh, I think Pat will say, uh, that he really, in a large manner, uh, helped us finish the war, at least in the South. So, my friend, uh, I could keep talking, but I think you'll do a better job at it. So, yeah, where, uh, yeah, where do you want to begin, Pat? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like to probably begin where it, uh, how he was created. All right. Uh, Marion, here, Francis Marion got his start in the military when he was young, before there was a Revolutionary War. There was a major Cherokee uprising, which is called the, the Cherokee War, 1760. And during that time, he was uh, uh, talk, talking like in his 20s. And he got a lot of experience in, but so did many of the, uh, uh, a lot of the, the people who were later on commanders in, in Revolutionary War in South Carolina. They got their experience in because they worked in coordination with the regular British Army, actually a bunch of Highlanders. And they also went against the Indian, where they could learn tactics, Indian tactics. Right. So that's 
you know, Marion learned that at a young age. Now, flash forward to the Revolutionary War. Well, first off, before I say anything, most of what you know about Francis Marion is total bullcrap. And unfortunately, that it starts because of one guy. One guy, his name was Weems. He wrote a book, and all the bullcrap is in that book. And it's just all these myths and stories. I'll give you a great example of a myth, and you're going to hate this. It was never called the Swamp Fox by anybody while he was alive. Yeah, but it's Ever. such a cool name. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But Can't we just keep stuff it? Stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, everybody knows him by that. But a lot of the stuff mm. came out later, and it was just made up. You know, the stuff he actually did is just as is impressive. Blown away. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually, the guy who I gave him the name Swamp Fox, a 17-year-old kid who was riding with Marilyn, Marion, later on wrote a book. Now, imagine that. Imagine if the entire history of Special Forces in Vietnam was written by a 17-year-old Vietnamese kid who was with the CIDG. Probably pretty, pretty damn good book. <laughs> well, it would, but it would also be all sorts of things not quite true. That's true. And little things over-embellished because it's a 17-year-old. So uh, the, the, even uh, uh, the other guy who's a major player in the, you know, they, call, they didn't call them guerrillas. They called them partisans. Right. The, the actual term guerrilla came during the Napoleonic War. So they called him partisans. So another partisan in South Carolina was Sumter, and his nickname was the Gamecock. But again, he was never called that when he was alive. The, the name came from that 17-year-old. So the 17-year-old gave both Marion and Sumter that nickname. Now, wow. here's the question. Could he have heard it while he was 17 riding with him? Is that where he heard the nickname? Nobody knows for sure, but that's the first time you see it in print is like 30 years after the war when this guy writes a book. Wow. All right, now let's go on with Marion, though. Okay, now Marion, he's famous as being a partisan commander, but you got to realize he started out as a conventional commander, not just an average one, an exceptional one. Hmm. Uh, the British, uh, the Revolutionary War, it started up north in Lexington and Concord. And then the British seized, uh, said, we've got to find a way to, uh, to basically start a base operations to get back the colonies. And they figured the South. And why the South? Because the South, unlike the North, was literally divided half and half. North Carolina was more loyalist than it was uh, a patriot. That's true. A lot, so, lot, of, lot of Tories. Oh, yeah. Hell of a lot in North Carolina. So they figured, all right, we'll try to take a base of operations in the South. Now, they tried to come in North Carolina, and uh, what happened was the loyalists here jumped the gun, and, and they had a battle at Morris Creek Bridge. And so the British weren't able to land here. So then the British were like, well, the hell with that. We'll just go right into Charleston. And they had a huge navy to roll into Charleston. Now, what was sitting at the mouth of Charleston was a fort that was half built, not quite finished yet. Fort, uh, at that time, it was called Fort Sullivan. And Fort Sullivan was made out of palm, palmetto trees, which is like a palm tree, and sand, and it was half built. And the British figured, oh, the hell with that. We'll just go right there and push them out and drive them and take the town. Well, it didn't work, uh, and it mainly didn't work because of British arrogance. The British, the very first battle of the war, Lexington conquered, the British were kind of arrogant. They figured all we got to do is stand here, you know, flash the British flag, and all these farmers will run away in fear, and they did. Well, same thing, the Br Royal Navy figured all we got to do is roll up to this fort, fire at the fort, they'll all surrender, and it, no problem. So Fort Sullivan was kind of like Lexington conquered, but on water. They got hit. 
And what they got hit with was the defenders of Fort Sullivan, which was a group called the Second South Carolina Regiment. And in that group was Captain Francis Marion commanding a good chunk of the fort. So he was in one of the biggest battles. And by the way, the British were horribly defeated. I mean, they, they, they lost uh, 400 men killed, over 1,500 wounded. Meanwhile, the defenders of the fort only lost 30 guys killed. That was it. And uh, part of that was because the, the sand and the palm trees sucked up cannonballs and wow. didn't really do anything. That's why today the South Carolina flag has a palm tree on it. It's, it's honoring the Battle of Fort Sullivan. Mm. Now, that's, that's where Marion got his, you know, he learned how to be a really good conventional commander. Then he ends up in charge of the second South Carolina, and he ends up in probably one of the most bloodiest battles ever, but you hardly hear about it, and it's the Siege of Savannah. In fact, many people call the attack on Savannah the, the picket's charge of the Revolutionary War because mm. it was it was the bloodiest battle for the French. So the French landed and they assisted the Americans, and the French commander decided, I, I want to attack. Uh, if you don't attack, I'm going to leave. And so they had to attack. They didn't want to, but they had to attack. They ended up attacking this one point called Spring Hill Redoubt, and it was fortified to the gills, and they were slaughtered. Mm. And uh, it was just a bloodbath. And so because of that, Marion was in, again, one of the worst defeats, but he was there in that bloodbath. Now, what happens next is the British are all emboldened because not only have we defeated the Americans, the French sailed away. Screw it. Let's take Charleston. The Charleston is what they always wanted anyway. So they decide to take Charleston and they, they lay siege to Charleston. Now, this is where the legend of Marion begins. Up until now, he's been a conventional commander, a very good conventional commander. He's a colonel, too. Now, in Charleston, it it's kind of like, think of the last days of the German army when they were surrounded by the Russians in Berlin. And there, it's, there is no hope. You know you're going to lose. Fuck it. It's just, we're, we're, we're not going to win at all, right? And so uh, what happens is they, the officers get together like officers do, and they decide to have drinking parties. Yeah. And they had this weird habit. Well, they would go into a house, of, you know, one of their own houses, and, and they would lock the doors. And nobody could leave until all the booze in that house was drank. Yeah. Now, they tell Marion, we're going to have a, an, a, a meeting, a war, an officer's meeting. Uh, you need to show up here. So Marion shows up, and they lock the doors. And nobody's going to get out until everybody drinks all the booze in the house. Huh. Well, Marion is French. He's a Huguenot. Yeah. He is like a Puritan. They don't drink. And so Marion's like, I ain't got time for this silliness. Let me out. Oh, you can't get out and do all the booze in the house and drink. Marion don't want to play these childish games, but he couldn't get out because they blocked the door. So what does Marion do? He goes up to the second floor, jumps out the window, and figures, okay, I'll get out that way. When he jumps out, he lands wrong, snaps his leg in half. It's a horrible break, man. It is a bad break. Nice. Now, that's actually good. Yeah. What happened was, because Marion is so broken, uh, the wounded, they're still, they're still not quite totally cut off Charleston yet. There's still a way out to go up the uh, Cooper River. So the wounded are being taken out up through the Cooper River. One of the last boats to go out, Marion is on that boat to be taken out to the countryside where he can recover from his wounds. Now he goes out there, and about three weeks later, Charleston falls. Now, Every 
This is a this is actually the worst defeat in American history until World War II when the Philippines fell. Right. I mean, you got to figure the entire Southern Army is captured, all the ships, all the artillery. It's over 300 pieces of artillery, and the British now have a major base of operations. The British are going from Charleston and pretty much taking down. They don't have. They're not killing anybody. They're just going out and saying, "Hey, you might as well give up. The war is over. You guys lost." And so people are giving up left and right, and so. The guy who's the overall commander in in uh, Charleston is a guy called Henry Clinton, and he says, "Okay, my job here is done. I'm going to go back to New York, where the main, you know, so I can fight Washington." And he leaves a guy called Charles Cornwallis in charge. And so Cornwallis he tell, orders him, "All you got to do is put down, you know, have everybody come in, sign their oaths. The war is over with it." And there's actually negotiations going on at that time where the Americans are considering ending the war, and. What would happen is the Americans would have kept the northern part of the colonies and the center part of the colonies. Meanwhile, the British would keep New York and the South. And it, that almost happened. And then it was a, the British screwed it up, but it almost happened. Now, while this is all going on, there is still one more army that is heading south that wasn't captured or anything. And it's an army... Uh, the commander is a guy called Horatio Gates, yep. and he he rides south. And Horatio Gates is a horrible commander; he's terrible. Everybody thinks he's a great commander because he was the guy in charge at Saratoga, but he wasn't the guy who won Saratoga. It was actually a couple other guys, and he took the credit for it. But he rides south, and he's decided I'm going to go take on the British. Well, he's an idiot. Now, Marion, remember he's broken. Well, Marion rides into the, the camp of Horatio Gates and offers his services. And here, let me just read. This is this is an eyewitness account of what Marion looked like when he rode into the camp. It says, Colonel Marion, a gentleman of South Carolina, had been with the Army a few days, attended by very few followers, distinguished by small black leather caps and the wretchedness of their attire. Their number did not exceed 20 men and boys, some white, some black, all are mounted, most of them miserably equipped, their appearance, in fact, is so burlesque that it is with much difficulty that the regular soldiery was restrained from laughing by the officers. And the general himself was glad of an opportunity to detach Marion towards the interior of South Carolina with orders to watch the motions of the enemy. Now, check it out. Gates thought Marion was a clown because he showed up looking like a rag bag yeah. with 20 men and boys, some white, some black. And mm -hmm. he says, all right, tell you what. I got no use for you. You're not going to be able to help me because I'm such a great officer. Why don't you go over toward Williamsburg County and, and go over there and try to get get that militia to, to rise up and, and help us out. Now, Williamsburg County is where Georgetown is. If you know anything about South Carolina or the map of Georgetown, if, most people know where Myrtle Beach is. If you went directly in, I'm at west from Myrtle Beach, just heading direct west, you'd bump into Georgetown County. So that's pretty much... Marion Territory. Now, Marion rides into Williamsburg County, and he, what's there is a bunch of Irish, uh, uh, basically inhabitants. It's mainly the Irish. And he rides in. He's like, well, he didn't ride in there going, I'm an officer and you will follow me, because he realized, uh, who am I? I mean, I've got Gates laughing at me. So he pretty much rides in, and he knows a good chunk of them in there because they served with him in the Second South. So what he does, he just talks to him. Marion wasn't a loud guy. He was a really soft-spoken guy. He just talks to him like, dude, I'm, you know, 
I was your commander. We did pretty good, Fort Sullivan. We did pretty good at Savannah. It says we need to drive these British out, and you know, you guys can help me out. They'd be freaking great. And uh, you know, need to come along. And they're now, Irish. <laughs> yeah. Well, they remember everybody at this time is is ready to give up. Yeah. Because the British are successful, they're winning yeah. everywhere. Well, what happens is even worse. Gates. Remember, I told you Gates is an idiot. Gates is in one of the worst defeats ever, and his entire you know, they end up wiped out or captured and running away. And so for a second time, a major continental army is, is wiped. And so uh, th- that doesn't help Marion at all. Who, who the heck wants to help fight against the British when you keep losing? So what Marion is able to get is he's able to get uh, uh, about 40 guys to follow him. Wow. Now, what whole, he does with these 40, 40 guys, <laughs> all 40. So 40 guys, and mainly these 40 guys are guys who served with him. So think of a bunch of veterans who were with you in a war. It's like, okay, I know you. I'll help you out. And so there's 40. Now, what their first mission is all those guys that, from the Maryland Continentals that were captured. There's like, uh, how many of them are? There's 147 of them captured, and the British are taking them to Charleston to the prison ships. Yeah. Well, Marion's first mission was a POW snatch. Nice. So wow. it's a place called Nelson's Ferry. This is August of 1780. 25 August. And I'm, I'm throwing dates out there because I'm going to put dates out because so many things happen so quickly. It's amazing. But anyway, he, the British are in this house. They're pretty much the, the prisoners outside aren't getting anywhere because they've lost. They're not going to run away. So they're just huddled outside. They're not being treated badly, but the British are inside. They've actually stacked their arms and they're sitting there drinking and everything else, ready to keep walking to Charleston. Well, what it is is Marion surrounds his house and hits them. Now, they, you got to think about this. Marion's men, half of them don't even have any weapons. <laughs> mm. They just surprise the crap out and get in there. Yeah. And they end up with this vicious little fight where there's uh, 24 of the British are killed and wounded. But the rest run away. So what happens, though, is Marion frees all the prisoners. Now, the bad news is the prisoners look at Marion, and Marion looks like exactly the way he was described before. This guy, ragbag dude that who has walks with a limp and he's a little short guy and God, he's got forty guys that look like farmers. We're supposed to come with you? Well, eighty five of the prisoners demanded that they'd go to Charleston and put on the prison ship. They would not go with Marion. That's nope. amazing. Yeah. Now, Marion takes the rest. He couldn't dissuade him. He left him there. Yeah, and he takes the rest and he starts going to his camp. Well, as they're going to camp, each night, you know, they're sitting down to their meal, and their meal is like nothing. There's hardly any food or anything else. So by the time he gets to his main camp, all but three of those Maryland Continentals had deserted and fled. Wow. So he shows up at a camp with three prisoners. Those three stick with him, though, and they stick with him for the rest of the time. In fact, one turns out to be one of the major players. But his first mission was a POW snatch, but because of his appearance and because the regular army didn't think he was worth a damn. They all fled. Hmm. Now, that was 25 August. Let's go down to two days later. Two days later, a guy, a, a British officer in the area who's not a nice guy, his name is James Wemyss, Major James Wemyss. In fact, he's really brutal. Uh, he was ordered by Cornwallis to destroy any plantations that are helping out these guys that snatched those prisoners. So he just goes around randomly burning places down and, and hanging people. 
I mean, it's literally like, you know, as bad as it gets. Now, what, I do want to bring up something. Whenever you talk about Marion, eventually somebody will talk about the movie The Patriot. Oh, yeah. And, and The Patriot so is accurate. horrible. It's, it's not historically <laughs> Oh, my God. I hate The Patriot. Oh, yeah. And here's the irony of it. I'm one of the guys that actually trained the, the British Army in The Patriot. But I hate that movie because it's so inaccurate. Because what happens, yeah. we had everything historically accurate. And then uh, the German director shows up, a guy called Roland Emmerich. And he came in and he said, it's not my vision. It's not my vision. Well, his vision was to have uh, the British Army act like the Nazis in Russia. Oh, so they did things nice. in the movie that never, ever, ever happened. For example, in the movie, it had the British Army killing women and children. Mm. That crap never happened. Mm. Ever. Ever. So when I talk about how the British are hanging people, it's mainly military-age men. They never yeah. touched women. In fact, the one I, I, I know of one example of two British soldiers who raped a woman. Well, as soon as they were discovered, their own chain of command took them down to Charleston and hanged them. And there's, you just didn't do that. It was not the way it happened back then. So anyway, back to Marion. Now, Marion, this guy called Wemyss is you know burning down all these plantations. And so Marion decides, okay... We're going to ambush this guy. Now, Wemyss is part of the regular army. He's not loyalist. He's not Tories. He's the regulars. So Marion hits the rear element. But, man, those guys, they ain't playing around. They're not able to do anything. So Marion realizes they are too strong. So what Marion does is he withdraws. He leaves the area goes into North Carolina. He actually goes to a place called Amy's Mill. Amy's Mill today would be located a little bit south of Elizabethtown. Mm. Now, he goes up there. That's a safe ground. He knows the British won't pursue him because one of the orders that Cornwallis was given was you have to stay in South Carolina. You cannot leave South Carolina. You cannot go into North Carolina. Take this one state at a time. It, it's basically what you're doing is you're limiting. Uh, what, what I'm trying to think of where my brain's not working. When you're limited on where you can go during a war. Yeah, it's a rule like of engagement. Could, yeah, it's nonsense. Well, no, like you couldn't go to North Vietnam or like yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah. You couldn't go to Pakistan. Limited warfare. Yeah. If you do limited warfare, you're never going to win. Well, the British had limited warfare. They, so Marion knew by going into North Carolina, he was safe. Yeah. All right. So he's up there, and he's basically you know up there recovering and everything else. Well. What happens is uh, Wemyss is still going around destroying stuff. So after about a week, Marion decides, I'm going to ride back in. I think I'm strong enough now. Because now he has more than 40. He's all the way up to 65. All right? <laughs> now, his 65 ride, and they're trying to find a, a, a part of Wemyss's force that's not the regulars, and they find him. It's uh, the Loyalist militia that uh, yeah, remember, loyalists are Americans fighting for the British, and there's a lot of them. So the loyalist militia is under the command of a guy called Micah Jaganey. Now, what's interesting about Micah Jaganey, Ganey had been an officer in the second South Carolina with Marion. But he was passed up for promotion, and when he was passed up for promotion, he decided, screw that, and switch sides, and he went to the British. Now, Ganey's got 205 guys. Marion's got 65 guys. Now, Marion decides to pull, well, I, I call it the oldest trick in the book, the oldest tactic ever, because you, you hear about 
the, the Maccabees using this way back in the Jewish uprising against, you know, the, the, the Syrians. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Gady married suckers them by basically hitting the rear element. And when Gady charges, they all run away. Oh, no, they're chasing me. And what they do is there's an ambush set up left and right and pulls them right through the ambush and blam, hits them. Now, half of Marion's men had no guns. The other, and so they had swords that they made out of uh, saws, you know, saw blades. And so they got these half-assed swords that, you know, might cut, might not, who knows. They'll probably bend. But anyway, the half of the guys with guns, they all, he says, I want you to fire one volley. And all you guys with swords immediately charge forward. And so that's what they do when they ride through the ambush. The guys with guns fire, and they immediately ride out. They all start slashing and hacking and everything. Now, they end up killing 30 of the loyalists and scaring the rest away. They ran into a swamp. Now, this was a huge success for one reason. Number one, Marion didn't lose anybody. But number two, because all of a sudden he took on a force that's you know three times larger than him, People volunteer, so he gets 60 more people coming. So he just doubled his force with that one attack. By the way, that attack was called Blue Savannah at September 4th. Notice all these are happening within days of each other. All right, what happens next? Major Wemmis, remember him, the bad guy? I I know in the movie The Patriot, the evil, horrible guy is called Tavington. Tavington. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Tavington is, is loosely based upon Tarleton. Tarleton, Bannister Tarleton was this guy who had a horrible reputation, but in real life, he really wasn't that bad. It was just a lot of PR. And he he played it up because he wanted to scare the shit out of people. Now, Wemyss is bad. I mean, he is not a nice guy. Now, Wemyss, because Marion hit Gady and chased him in the swamp and won, he decides to go on another punishing raid for for five days. He goes around hanging anyone suspected of helping Marion, burning their houses down, burning plantations. Marion had ridden back up to North Carolina to recover again, because that's his safe ground. Well, he decides to ride back down. Now, this is 28 September. So this is about uh, maybe three weeks after Blue Savannah, the last one. Now, the next one's called Black Mingo. Now, Black Mingo, Marion now got 100 guys. Woo! Man, he's moving up. Yeah. Now, what he does, he again hits the soft target. He doesn't go after Wemyss because he knows he can't, but he hits another group of loyalists because the loyalists are used to kind of like almost like a screen. In other words, they, they, they set out an outpost around the main force. So Marion hits this, this screen, this, this loyalist force under a guy called Colonel John Ball. Now, what they do is they do a, a nighttime raid. Now, one mistake Marion did, and he never did it again, was they decided to just they're going to ride in there and hit them because they're all in a house. When they ride in, they ride across a bridge, and it's a wooden bridge. Now, 100 guys riding across a bridge, it's actually about 50. 50 guys riding across a bridge, it's a lot of noise. The British hear this noise, and they, they immediately leave the house and move into a field. Now, luckily, Marion put the other half of his force in the field. And so what happens is as they run out, they, they have a meeting engagement, but it's a fierce, bloody little engagement in this field in the middle of the night. And Marion ends up losing 10 guys, which is, if you only have 100, that's yeah, you know, 10% that's casualties. Yeah. yeah. Now, the British only lost three, but Marion uh, is able to capture a bunch of uh, muskets and equipment and everything else. He also takes John Ball's horse, the commander, and renames the horse Ball. And that, it, there's a whole thing about Marion and his horse Ball. It's kind of like uh, Lee with his uh, horse Traveler. 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 Well, 
Marion's horse Ball is kind of famous too, too but it's captured from John Ball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get breath here because I'm literally going nonstop. If you guys want to say anything here, yeah. So uh, the interesting thing is, uh, Marion was able to. Um, what I what I've learned before on the loyalist is, you know, the the British strategy moved to the south because they thought they would find, you know, a great loyalist uh, uprising and they could foment that, but. It sounds like what you're saying is they did, it didn't materialize. Oh, no, it did. Oh, it did? No, the, okay. the first well, one. The first one was the, the 1776 in North Carolina. Right. You had a huge loyalist force, and it right. all grew out of something called the Regulator War, which happened five years before the Revolutionary War. Okay. And, right. and that huge loyalist force, they decided to jump the gun and march to Wilmington before they were supposed to, and the British had not landed yet. The British right. were going to do a two-pronged attack. They were going to come from the sea. The Loyalists were going to come from the land. And at the same time, the right. Cherokees rose up in the mountains to keep the western half of North Carolina down. It all, it all, it all briefed so well. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so my, well, what happened? Yeah, my the Loyalists point, moved sorry, early. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. So my point on that was uh, uh, it was really a, essentially a civil war here in the Carolinas. Oh, big time. Yeah, I, I got another series of books. It's a it's a four volume series called Nothing But Blood and Slaughter. Right. Now where that came from is General Green is one of the more successful generals. He actually you know, won all the or you know, won the South. The but anyway, General Green, when he saw what was happening down here, he said the war in the Carolinas is nothing but blood and slaughter, and if it continues, the people will annihilate themselves. Yeah. And it was a true civil war. I mean, it was incredibly bloody. Uh, most people know Fort Bragg. Uh, on Fort Bragg, you have Longstreet Church. Right. Uh, what you don't know is Longstreet Church was right beside a town called Argyle. It doesn't exist anymore. It's in an impact area. Mm. But Longstreet Church was a church for Argyle. And Argyle were these Highland Scots. Right. Meanwhile, up the road over near Lillington is a church, barbecue church. A barbecue church still exists. It's here. Wow. Barbecue church was, was the other lowland Scots. And they both had this ugly, brutal, bloody gang warfare that lasted for a year and a half here. And it was brutal, man. It was like Crips and Bloods. And yeah. so that was going on. It, it, if you were in the Carolinas, you had picked one side or the other. There was no fencing. You sat in a fence, your place would get burned to the ground. And it yeah. was a bloody civil war, a true civil war. Well, it sounds to me like, too, the... Um the reprisals were helping Francis Marion out quite a little bit too, I'd imagine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, immensely. Wemyss is probably the worst. And that, remember I told you that the British were totally successful and they were, they were raided. Americans were actually planning to give up. Yeah. One thing stopped that. I always said it was another book. If I'm ever going to write, I was going to call it the man who lost the war. One guy uh, is a guy called Christian Huck. Christian Huck was a guy who rode with Tarleton. I talked about Tarleton, but he was on a separate command. Well, he was ordered to go north and basically ride north and take the surrender of this one place. Well, he rides up there, and on his way there, he decides oh, it's what retarded kid is sitting in the road holding a Bible. And he asks him directions, and the kid does, you know, he looks at him funny because he's, he's a retarded kid. Well, one of his men said, oh, the heck with that, pulls out a pistol, shoots him right through the Bible, kills him dead. The preacher sees this, yells out, they don't like it, they burn down the church. Oh, wow. Well, then somebody said, you know, what are you doing? You know, you don't burn down a church. And he goes, you know, if, 
if Jesus Christ is on the side of the rebels, we will defeat Jesus Christ. We are mightier. Now, I call this, in my other books, the Protestant Rebellion, because that was the nickname for it. Oh, it was a jihad. Everybody rose up and went against this guy. It was surrounded in a place, ironically, it's called Huck's Defeat, but it was uh, was also called, uh, 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 let's see, uh, Williams Plantation. It's had a... Today, it's called Brattonsville, and there is a little plantation there in South Carolina called Brattonsville, but they were surrounded by these rednecks, shot the crap out of them, and they were like, just gunned them all down. It was wow. brutal. Yeah, right. Well, then yeah. all these heavily armed rednecks realized, oh, crap, this is cool. Let's take this on the road, and it started the uprising. So you got this happening out west at the same time that you got Marion happening at, out east, yeah. and so it's on each end of the state. You have these uprisings, so now all of a sudden the British have an insurgency that would have yeah. never happened if it wasn't for one guy who was being brutal. If you had been the opposite of being brutal, you probably would have won the war. Yeah, and uh, something I wanted to ask you is, uh, I know that uh, we haven't mentioned him yet, but Cornwallis uh, had uh, somewhat of a, a stringent, I mean, his policy, his coin policy if we could call it, they wouldn't call it counterinsurgency policy, but that was, uh, I don't think that was very good for, uh, the British side. I mean, well, uh, they had... I, 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 Cornwallis was actually a very good leader. Yeah. And, uh, the only problem was he had idiots for who were junior commanders. So he would, another, another example, like I told you, he sent Huck out with orders to subdue, you know, take the peace, have them sign their paroles. And he screwed it up and started an uprising. Another example of Cornwallis, a guy called Ferguson, Major Patrick Ferguson. He tells Patrick Ferguson, I want you to write, this is when Cornwallis goes into North Carolina to mainly go after the army uh, that, that, that Gates, you know, after he ran away. But anyway, he tells Patrick Ferguson, go out to the western part of North Carolina and all those heavily armed redneck mountain men, tell them to just cool their jets, don't rise up. They really haven't been part of the war yet. Don't do nothing like that. Just stay there. Keep the peace. Mm. What does Patrick Ferguson do? He rides out there and says, you know, you, know you, you, you will keep the peace or I will, you know, make your wives and children, you know, orphans and widows and have my way with them. And, yes. and then he makes the same mistake and says, you know, I will stand on this hill and Jesus Christ himself couldn't defeat me. Holy crap, mm. man. Do you guys love to do this or what? A jihad, part two. And yeah. King's Mountain is what happened. The Battle of King's Mountain, where mm-hmm. all these heavily armed rednecks showed up and shot the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really Cornwallis. It was his junior leaders were really – it was this arrogant attitude that was yeah. – it was part of the British mentality, though. And and you look at it, the American Army has this attitude, too, where we, you walk in to a foreign country, and the American military has this attitude where I'm going to look down upon you because we are the mighty American you know, army. No one is better than us. Look at us. We are undefeatable. That's how the British were in the 18th century, yeah. the exact same way, because they were a mighty army, and they were undefeatable. I mean, yeah. you know, they were – in fact, even, even our war, the, yeah. the Revolutionary War, the British won almost all the battles. We yeah. lost almost all the battles. The only reason we won is because, you know, you don't win a war by just battles. There's also politics and, you know, just outlasting. Look at the Vietnamese or look at the Afghans, you know, just outlast us. And so we outlasted the British. Yeah, perseverance. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the other thing I saw is the, 
you know, at that point where, uh, you know, Charleston fell and, you know, you mentioned that Marion got out of uh, Charleston uh, largely yeah. for his uh, you know, religious convictions, of course, uh, you know, basically he could have just buried his uh, head in the sand and, uh, you know, think of, I mean, it looked like the plight of the, uh, the Patriots didn't look too good. You know, so no, he, 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 he could have he he gone to the British. Yeah, yeah. He, he got busy. He could have. Uh, I mean, he literally could have gone to the British and ended up with a commission. Yeah, and that at that time when it happened, you said 1780. Uh, yeah, 1780s. Yeah, yeah, things weren't looking very good. I mean, it was pretty bleak. No. Uh, so, yeah, I figure I mean, in, yeah. in 1780, Washington, up north, Washington could not drive the British out of New York. It was impossible. Right. And he never yeah, did. This he was never a did. low ebb for the Patriot cause. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, yeah, it was really low because we're not really winning. We're not losing. Yeah. There was a stalemate. Down south, they're losing everything. I mean, it, yeah. it and, and in the Caribbean, the British are snatching up islands like they're left and right. Yep. I mean, it's just not a good time. It'd have been easy for uh Marion to just kind of count his losses and just uh, you know, sneak you know, sneak back somewhere in the swamp and just let it ride out, but uh he had a plantation up there, yes. Georgetown. And yeah. if he had just gone to that plantation yeah. and said, dude, I'm, you know, my, my bone and my foot's broke and I'm out. I nobody would have said anything. They would have all said <laughs> you had an honorable yep. career. You know? Yep, exactly. And I, I like the, uh, just knowing uh, the way you're uh, painting the picture is uh, there, there were some atrocities, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah. Not to the extent of, uh, you know, the Mel Gibson movie, of course. But no, uh, no. the uh, something I think that uh, people may not know is uh, Marion uh, exercised a lot of restraint uh, over the loyalists. So not you know they didn't uh, you know reciprocate with with brutality, right? Because he he saw the bigger picture. Well, let me give you an example of that because uh, uh, and again, just, yeah, most people think of Marion today. They think of the Patriot, and in yeah. the movie The Patriot. Uh, Mel Gibson is supposed to be Marion. Right. Um, yeah. Actually, originally, the original title of the Patriot was going to be uh, The Swamp Fox, but they Thank decided God. to change the story a bit. Thank God they now, didn't do that. It would have ruined the real movie. It would have been good. Yeah. Well, that's but true. But anyway, in, in, in the movie, Mel Gibson's son is a guy called Gabriel, and Gabriel right. gets killed by Ta- Tavington and everything. Well, no, in real life, though. Gabriel Marion was a real person. Gabriel Marion was not Marion's son. He didn't have any sons. He had daughters. Marion, that was his nephew. Uh. Now, Gabriel was with Marion. And uh, the big target of Marion, what he wanted to do the entire war, was to take Georgetown. Because Georgetown was a major harbor, but it was heavily defended. So Marion wants to get in there. So he, he sends out two recon elements to find out defenses in Georgetown. And one of them has his nephew in it. And his nephew's a lieutenant, so he's kind of like leading with. Well, both of these groups are discovered, and they end up having to fight their way out and get back. But Gabriel gets captured. Now, when Gabriel's captured, what happened was a mulatto. And for people who aren't aware of that term, it's basically somebody who's half white, half black. But a mulatto, his name was Sweat. That's all history writes him. Just called him Sweat. So anyway, he was on the British side. Uh, it was a loyalist side. Well, this mulatto named Sweat walks up to Gabriel, knows who he is, puts a pistol to his head, and shoots him. Mm. Kills him. Dead. 
Now, the next day, Marion captures Sweat. Now, here's a guy that killed your nephew. Now, if you were a brutal guy, you'd do some pretty terrible things. But Marion did not. Marion ordered you will treat him as a prisoner. We are going to take him to my base, and we'll you know, learn stuff. Well, along the way, a militia officer didn't like Sweat, put a pistol to his head, and blew his head off. Marion was insanely angry. I mean, he was. He basically said, from this point on, my men will adhere to regular army discipline or you will leave my partisans. Yeah. You know, you, w- you will come under regular army discipline, you know, you, including punishment. Mm-hmm. And that's unheard of because the militia didn't do regular army punishments. But Marion said he was going to run his guerrilla force like the regular army for mm-hmm. discipline-wise. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, there was uh, uh, next time you saw, that was it for an atrocity. Um, and for for on Marion's side, where somebody killed a prisoner, uh, there was another time when Marion and a guy called Light Horse Harry Lee linked up and worked together. And Light Horse Harry Lee, he's the father of Robert E. Lee. Right. But anyway, uh, Harry Lee was not a nice guy. He did do atrocities. He's not nice. So he, they did a combined mission. Uh, and at the end of it, they had British prisoners. Well, Marion, they're sitting down at the house of this one woman. It was Mott's plantation. So they're sitting at the house mm-hmm. of Mrs. Mott, and they're having dinner. And all of a sudden, one of the men comes into Marion and says, hey, they're killing prisoners. Marion leaves the table, goes out there and sees it. And he says, the next man that kills one of these prisoners, I will put you to death right here with a sword. Wow. And, he, and it was Lee's men. Mm-hmm. And he told Lee, you will never do this again, or I will never ride with you again. And sure enough, shortly after that, they they did break apart, and he never, Marion never rode with them again. And that was uh, the the uh, taking of uh, Fort Mott, right? Yeah, Fort Mott. Uh, Fort Mott. Fort Mott. Yeah, that was that was that was in 1781. I've been yeah. mispronouncing that for uh, decades. Oh, uh, trust me, everything in South Carolina, to, you're going to mispronounce. Yeah, sorry I mean, to everybody who's listened to me over <laughs> the years. So. I'll give you a great example. <laughs> Marion Marion had officers riding with him. One of them. And all these counties in South Carolina are named after these guys. One of them, if you read his name, it looks like Huger, H-U-G-E-R. But how you pronounce it is Huge. And another one, U-G. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, it's in South Carolina, it's U-G County, not Huger County. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is, uh, what, what's in, oh man, I, I forgot his name, but it's another one where, uh, oh crap. I'll, I'll find it here in a minute, but it, it's basically... Uh, it, it's another one of Mary's men. All the names are pronounced funny because they're all French. Right. You got to figure the, the the coastal region of South Carolina was settled by a lot of French. Yeah, uh, Huguenots. Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, the was, French were the first ones there before the British, so that's why. Now, who was who was uh, Marion reporting to during this whole time? Okay, Marion is reporting directly to uh, the whoever's in charge of the South, and at that time, it was. Gates, but then after Gates ran away, it was Green. So Marion so, is talking thing, to Green directly. So and, things uh, things and, got things probably got better under Green. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, big time because Green actually you know was successful, um, and Green he realizes what he has here because it wasn't just Marion the only partisan. South Carolina was covered in partisans, hmm. and each one had their own little section. And if you went to the western part of South Carolina. It was a guy called Davy, and the middle part of South Carolina, it was Sumter, and the coastal part of South Carolina, it was Marion and another guy. And so, so I'm assuming Green these... kind of understood the type of warfare he was engaged yeah. in. Yeah, 
Well, what, what's great, Green was a quartermaster. Yep. In other words, he knew the way to defeat the British was supplies. And, and he realized the only way you screw up their supplies is all these partisans running around the background intercepting anything they could dare get. Cornwallis, when he marched into North Carolina, supposedly to take out Green, he didn't do it. Uh, it when he was, even though Cornwallis won the Battle of Guilford Courthouse in March of 1781, he had lost so many men, he couldn't go back to South Carolina because he knew if he went into South Carolina, all those partisans would be around him like like coyotes, like yeah. wolves. He Just had to go him. to the Just coast. He had to go to Yorktown, Virginia. Yep. And what happened is because he went to Yorktown, Virginia, Washington and the French Army came down, surrounded them, and it ended the war. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, I mean, it goes without saying that uh, I mean, you look at the second and third order effects of uh, Marion's guerrilla campaign. Not just, oh yeah, of course, you know, you got to give credit to also to Sumter and Pickens and the others. Oh yeah, they were all. But it, uh, Sumter was probably more, even though he was a lot different, he might have been more successful. Yeah. Than Marion, because he had mainly because Marion, at the most, Marion had maybe 100, 200 guys. Sumter had thousands. Yeah. And the difference was Sumter was a different kind of leader. Marion played by the book, and yeah. you will follow my orders or else you won't ride with me. Sumter was like, oh, dude, do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. And, you know, hey, you want to you steal people's stuff and take all their slaves and take them home? Go right ahead. They're all loyalists anyway. I don't care. Yeah. So, you know, he had a different caliber of people signing up with his army. Well, yeah, obviously they're both very popular and they've gone down in history. Um, oh, yeah. We we know their names, but uh, why was Marion, why, why is Marion kind of elevated to the top of the list? I, mean, I, think, I think because Marion, well, first off, because after I told you a lot of BS was written about him, well, that works to your credit, uh, the myth. The myth mm. is greater than the reality, and but it played up because more people read about Marion than anybody else. Yeah. And uh, and Sumter also had a book, uh, you know, called the Gamecock. In fact, the Gamecocks, the the football team, are named after him. And uh, but between the two of them, everybody also knew that Sumter didn't quite play by the rules all the time, mm. and but Marion did. So Marion was probably more popular because he was considered. At a higher level, more, uh, nerds, he had more honor. I mean, because, you know, uh, that kind of warfare, <clears throat> partisan warfare, that kind of black flag type of irregular oh, warfare yeah. was kind of looked down upon. It was kind of not considered the gentlemanly way of conducting war. Um, no, it was, it was, it was very. But I'm assuming uh, it, because you know, Marion played by the rules, he garnered <clears throat> some respect. Yeah. I mean, he, Good thing is because he played by the rules, um, you know, he was able to get a lot of the enemy on his side. There was a uh, where yeah. the nickname for it is it's called Terracote Swamp, but the nickname was Turncoat Swamp because right. what happened was uh, this is October 1780. Uh, Marion uh, basically had uh, 150 guys, and he finds another group of loyalists at a camp. Because he sent boys out as recon elements. He would use people as recon elements. The, the gorillas, you know, the whole, the, the, the people are the ocean uh, that the, the gorilla fish swim in. Well, he would use the people. So he sent boys out to the British camp, the lowest camp, walking around, shooting breeze. Well, they're taking notes. They know exactly what's going on. They come back and tell Marion. So it's like, hey, these guys have lax 
you know, security, and they're probably going to be drunk, so hit them. And so he hits them at night, and when he hits them, most of the lowest run is swamp. Marion kills six, wounds 14, but then 23 of them, they saw how better Marion was and how he didn't massacre them. 23 of them switched sides to join his army. That's amazing. So, you know, so, so he was able to actually get people to stay with him, switch sides sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that says a lot right there, uh, just as uh, his character uh, and the way he waged war. Uh, and the other, I wonder if you could uh, just kind of uh, surmise, if you look at his career, look at Marion and his leadership and, uh, you know, his insurgency, could you, could you bring out like a couple of salient points as far as like, how how could we emulate him? Yeah, because we talked about we talked about the <clears throat> fact that he was you know he played by the rules he he demanded that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's you know tell us about some of the other peculiarities that made him you know who he was. Well, the, the if, if you're saying one way to emulate him, first off, um, a lot of the people that are considered like some of the greatest leaders would look at these earlier versions, and a a, a great example is Robert E. Lee. Now, I know Robert Lee's controversial today, but Robert Lee as a soldier, if you look at him straight up as a soldier, is probably one of the most successful and honorable people in American history. Absolutely. And Robert E. Lee modeled himself not after his dad, because his dad was not a nice guy, and in the end, he ended up being a drunk and probably from PTSD yeah. and, and being penniless. But he looked at Washington. And he looked at Marion as his role models. And so Marion, I mean, you know, he was a guy that you did want to look at Emily. Now, Marion, um, by the way, if you go on Wikipedia, and I try to delete it all the time, there's this one thing in Wikipedia where it says uh, uh, Marion uh, basically raped his slaves and hunted down Indians and all this that was total bullcrap, and it all came from one reviewer of the movie The Patriot, one British reviewer who made all that stuff up because he didn't like the movie, how they were depicting the British and the Patriot. Yeah, I don't blame there you. are no, zero primary accounts. First off, what Indians is Marion going to be hunting down? He lives on the coast of South Carolina. There are no Indians. Yeah. And, uh, and the whole thing about rape and slaves, there's no evidence of that either. It didn't happen. And his wife had slaves. He didn't even have any slaves. So basically, it's just a bunch of bullcrap. So if you ever read that, you know, like I say, every well, time I go to Wiki- Wikipedia, yeah, I and delete it's Wikipedia it. too. So it's like, yeah, but it's it's the, the, that if you ever look up anything negative, that's probably the only negative comment about Marion you'll ever see, and it's from some British butthole from from you know two thousand and one <laughs> instead of you know back in the eighteenth century. Nice. Now, Marion, if you say emulate him, first off, he was an excellent conventional military soldier. And he was excellent at what he did. He knew how to lead. He knew how to, you know, the, the basic, you know, all the tactics and everything of the regular army. And so by knowing the tactics and everything of the regular army, when he went up against the British, he knew how they fought and how to take them on. Secondly, Marion wasn't a guy who was a braggart, a guy who would walk in and say, you will follow me because I'm a lieutenant colonel. No, he knew the mindset of the men in Georgetown County. And so he knew that for me to get him, these guys to work with me, I have to talk them one-on-one like men, because these are guys who served with me. So he, he, he kind of went after their, their sense of honor and, you know, this is what's right. 
and he was able to talk him into doing that first mission, which helped. So Nurse Marion was a guy able to get people on his side, not from yelling and screaming, but from basically knowing him and talking to him like, you know, humans. Yeah. You know, don't talk down to him. Yeah. And then the third thing is, even though he was a guerrilla, which is real unusual for, because if you fight guerrilla warfare, you tend to go down a dark path because yeah. that's just how guerrilla warfare is. Marion didn't go down. Yes, there's killing, but he did it in such a way that he tried to make it match the regular rules of war, where even though I'm a guerrilla, we're not going to go killing you know, prisoners. We're not going to be you know, stealing their stuff. We're not going to do any of this stuff. You know, we're, we're going to try to treat them like regular POWs, and that assists them because when it came time to get more people, he was able to get them from the loyalists. Because mm. you got to figure – Anybody at that time, if you bumped into some civilian, you didn't know which side they were on. So you had to treat them all like a possible enemy or a possible friend. You didn't know. So Marion, you know, treated them all in a friendly way, I guess, because they did not go against him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. There's so many aspects of the guy's character and leadership that, uh, you know, we could emulate. Um Something I, I think that you brought out that I didn't really see before also is uh, just how he used uh, the capabilities of his men. Uh, you know, he he didn't have he didn't have a lot of guys. So no. I mean, he's a lot like uh, Mosby or T. Lawrence, and just kind of swooping out of the swamp, hit something, and then they're gone. And uh, so you know, the guy obviously not sticking around, not holding the battle space, if you will. But yeah, uh, he did he did a lot of. Uh... Uh, like like suckering people in the ambushes, that was a common one of his. Nice. And also, he, he he would use different layers of weaponry. For example, as the war advanced, he tended to get more guys. Yeah. So he had a group, he had a section of riflemen. Now, rifles in the 18th century was a weapon that could fire, you know, 200, 300 yards, while everybody else is armed with a musket, which is like a 12-gauge shotgun, and only fired 100 yards. So in other words, what he would do is he would use these riflemen as basically as snipers and he would use them to hit the british like from the rear pin them down while his mounted elements would come around from the flanks and hit them so he would use all these different levels of weaponry to figure out uh, you know how, how to take on the british like that one fight where i said half his people didn't even have guns so he decided okay we're gonna fire a big volley and you guys with no guns rush out and start hacking <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, he, he absolutely uh, used terrain. Uh, he used, uh, he, he was, uh, I would say, uh, astute to uh, the human terrain, the physical terrain. Uh, I mean, he was a guy for the times. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, and eventually, if, it, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking if uh, in the area he was in the Williamsburg area, obviously, you know, I don't want to uh, discredit Sumter and all the other things, their exploits, but I mean, just. What if he wasn't there? What would that have? I mean, I think they would have, been, would have looked a little bit different. The war would have gone yeah. probably a different way. Well, yeah, I think there would have been other partisans. Uh, they may not have been as effective because yeah. uh, there was another guy called Harden who worked south of Charleston. He was right. in that area, uh, and but it, it would have been somebody else. But it may yeah. not have been just as effective because yeah. remember, I think because the British had these terrible commanders go out and 
do stupid things. Officers yeah. do stupid things. I think inevitably they were going to be successful because of these idiot officers. Yeah. And now, now Marion, after he he did this guerrilla warfare for about all the way up until about the the, the March of 1781, and that's when the tide turned because now the British Cornwallis is, is, had to leave North Carolina, go to Yorktown, right. and the British are pretty much stuck in Charleston and Georgetown. If they can't leave. And so Marion is able to raise up to back. He goes back to being a conventional army commander again. So he raises up a major force where a combined, you know, where this huge army, when Marion's just one unit as part of this army, they fight a battle called Utah Springs in September of 1781. And so he goes back to being a conventional commander and he, he's really successful at it. Utah Springs is one of the bloodiest battles of the war. Holy cow. The British suffered 80% casualties. Wow. 80%. I mean, it was, it was, it was the only reason people don't know that much about it is because it happened at the same time as Yorktown, and Yorktown stole everybody's thunder. Yeah. And so you really don't know that much, but, but Utah Springs is oh, immensely bloody. But it just shows Marion went from conventional yeah. to small gorilla, big gorilla, and then turns his guerrilla army into a conventional army. Wow. And yeah. it's it's uh, what they call it, the the whole the different levels of guerrilla warfare where you go you end up being a conventional unit. He did yeah. that. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that comes out in uh, T. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Uh, he tabulates uh, basically uh, the principles of guerrilla warfare, and the last one he talks about is how how an irregular force. Uh, can work in close collaboration with a conventional army. And so, yeah, that's, a, I mean, uh, obviously, that's a, also a great point of knowing the box, knowing what the box look like, looks like, and then as you're prosecuting grayscale warfare, being able to think outside the box, uh, doing UW, and then being able to fall back on, you know, the basics. Be able to flex. Yeah. Be adaptable. I mean, yeah, very flexible uh, leader, uh, warrior, uh, fantastic stuff, Pat. I mean, um, I think I could, I mean, we could go on for, uh, three or four hours. Uh, you'd have to, you know, get a, uh, we'd have some coffee and stuff, but, uh, but well, eventually you guys, eventually you guys will get the, uh, the next book, the Marion book that, yeah. that is not in print right now, but you yeah. guys are going to be printed up, but it's Marion's orderly book. And that, that is in yeah. great detail. Of everything Marion did. <laughs> yep, guys that are uh, didn't hear. Uh, so Patrick O'Kelly is uh, the author of uh, Triple Canopy, uh, nothing but blood and slaughter. Slaughter. Okay. <laughs> blood and, and slaughter. And um, of course uh, Marion's uh, orderly book that's going to be coming to Blacksmith Publishing soon. Awesome. Uh, yeah, wealth of information. Uh, you know, one heck of a model American, also Pat. Thanks for uh, spending an hour with us talking to us about uh, Francis Marion, his exploits, uh, how he uh, contributed to Cornwallis leaving the Carolinas and getting bottled up in Yorktown, kind of showing us the significance of the impact of the War of Independence that uh, you know irregular warfare can, can make, uh, can have. One guy, handful of guys uh, run through the swamps making stuff happen. So yeah, uh, that's really what we do in special forces, uh, you know. And as my as uh, uh, Pat also knows, but hey, Pat, thank you, my friend. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, not a problem. Uh, you know, good, anxiously await that book. Yeah, anxiously await the <laughs> next book. Yep. Thank you, sir. All right, not a problem.
Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode discussing Francis Marion with Patrick O'Kelly on the Pinelander podcast. If you enjoy our content and unique perspective, we hope you'll check out our sponsors, Blacksmith Publishing at blacksmithpublishing.com. Been serving warriors since 2013. Also, if you're looking for some cool merchandise, check out the general store at pinelander1776.com. We've got a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, and anything else that you can imagine. Until next time, remember to keep your head on a swivel, stay smart, strong, and socially astute.